Welcome into the Rambling Preacher Podcast. Uh, my name is Jesse. I'm your host, and I'm ready to hash out this new series that we're going to be working on uh, about Bethel and their new series they're doing called Rediscover Bethel. Uh, I'd like to start by saying that I'm only covering their first video in this particular podcast. I'm hoping to do an episode for each subsequent video that they release, whether that be three or four. Um, I'm not entirely sure yet. And let me preface this entire podcast with this. I've become awfully familiar with Bethel over the years. As most of you know that are listening to this, uh, I absolutely endorse uh, the fact that I'm a continuationist. Or if you have to call it, charismatic, yes, unapologetically, a continuationist slash charismatic. But I do realize... um, that I see spiritual gifts a bit different than most mainline Pentecostal charismatic groups today. So I avoid the terminology. Um, there's just a lot of undesirable baggage that comes along with the word charismatic. So usually I try to refer people pretty quickly to uh, Matt Chandler, Mike Winger, John Piper, Wayne Grudem, even Sam Storms, who's even a little more charismatic than the other guys. Uh, or Andrew Wilson, those are all guys I really look up to and I aspire toward, even if we have slight nuanced opinions in our theology, those are guys I align much closer with. So anyway, uh, most of you once again will know if you've been, we're really new to this podcast, but if you have been following along, uh, I grew up charismatic, uh, heavily charismatic, and so I've known Bethel, I've, I've known about Bethel for a long time, I, and though I didn't listen necessarily directly to Bill Johnson or his teaching, or their teaching in general, I absolutely believed much of that type of theology, and a lot of that type of theology infiltrates a lot of Pentecostal charismatic churches today, to some extent. Now, I'm not saying Bill Johnson's theology is just everywhere in every charismatic church ever, I'm just saying some of it infiltrates a lot of charismatic churches. And I would say that Bethel is what I would consider hyper-charismatic. They've taken uh, things a little too far. But in general, um, most charismatics begin to teeter a little too far into that uh, theology that's a little worrisome. So I, like I said, I avoid the baggage usually by avoiding the word. And usually when people ask me, are you reformed? I just say, I'm a Calvinist and... <laughs> um, and I'm kind of reformed, I guess, but not truly because I'm not a cessationist. So anyway, with saying all that, um, I do also need to state, even after watching this series um, and what they've put out so far, even though we're just covering the first video, I still do not endorse Bethel at all or Bill Johnson in any way. Um, I wrote an article about six months ago reviewing Bill Johnson's theology, and now some things have been cleared up to some extent. Um, I still will not endorse the church or his teachings. I just won't. And, uh, and there's, there's some things that I really would need to see happen for me to endorse them. Um, now I'm not saying they're heretics or, um, to be damned. If you saw my recent Instagram post, I'm not going to say that either. Uh, this is an attempt to be gracious and charitable, uh, and and reach out and say, Hey, I want to hear you guys out and hear kind of your defense of yourself and take it for what it is and, and take it at face value and and try not to read too much into it. And, um, hopefully they're more clear on their theology. So like I said, I just cannot in good conscience, uh, say I endorse them. Not yet, not 
and I, I doubt ever, but uh, once again, I'll keep that door just kind of closed for now, but I'm not, not locking it up and blocking it away. Um, you know, if there's some, some serious changes and some serious return, return to orthodoxy, uh, maybe, but, uh, I don't know yet. So, um, so for, first and foremost, uh, essentially the order of things, I'm going to go over their order in their video, um, posture of my heart, and then we'll cover some things here and there as we go through it. And I'll state kind of some closing thoughts and feelings and, and opinions on the matter. Uh, first and foremost, I want to shout out Christ is a Cure. If you have not listened to that podcast yet, I would recommend it because I'm going to avoid um, a lot of the things he covered with Christology and Kenosis and the gospel. Um, he did a really good job. And, and the one thing is, I, when they first started doing this Rediscover Bethel series, I genuinely thought, oh, sweet, I'm, I'm probably one of the few people that will look at this and take this seriously and, and evaluate this for what it was. And then, you know, you have uh, Nick over at Crisis of Cure, and he, he was full of charity, full of patience, full of uh, the fact that he was kind enough to give him a chance. And I honestly thought the, the majority of, uh, I don't want to say Reformed community because it's not just the Reformed community, but a, a majority of the generally Reformed community has washed their hands of Bethel. And so I just assumed, you know, no one's really going to even give this a chance because they're just going to assume it's damage control, look the other way, walk the other way, and not even look at it. But, you know, Crisis the Cure, they went in there and they were uh, full of charity, full of um, really just fair, being fair and balanced. And, and that's something I strive for as well uh, with this and with everything I do in, in, in my theology and my my perspective. So I really, I, I really liked that. I really, it was a longer uh, podcast, but you can get through it. No problem. I'd recommend that. And then secondly, the posture of my heart in this, I want to say I struggle with hyper charismatic theology because as I've grown in my theology, I've seen some things where uh, maybe I was a teenager and I was wrong and it, it's a little, um, it's a little disheartening where, you know, I've been a Christian or quote unquote Christian my entire life and to kind of have to rework um, and reconstruct some theological opinions and perspectives, but that's where I'm at and uh, or what I've gone through. And so I look back at kind of the hyper charismatic theology with some struggle, um, but the heart in this is not to attack Bill Johnson or Bethel not in the slightest. Rather, I want to look at them and, and, and think, hey, maybe they're coming to some better biblical understanding. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm excited that maybe this will clear things up. However, so far, um, hasn't as much as I would have liked. But the posture of my heart in this is not to come in here and bash Bethel or create more unfair caricatures of Bill Johnson. Uh, that's not really my heart in this. My heart in this is to explain the video to those of you that maybe have washed your hands of them or have no interest in watching the video yourself um, and provide kind of the rundown of it and what I see wrong with it or what I see right in it. Um, and also for a lot of you guys who have not been charismatic, maybe some of the, the terminology that I think Bill Johnson uh, uses that most Reformed Baptist type of people probably will miss or things that are kind of under the surface of his theology 
that lead him to be more hyper charismatic. Um, and so I'm going to point those things out to you where I see them. And so uh, with saying all that, the order of their video, the first video is they went into the history of the church, Jesus, the perfect theology, sickness and healing, the sovereignty of God, the passion translation, and then uh, kenosis, the gospel, the cross, things like that. And now those I'm not going to talk about too much because I feel like Christ is the cure really covered those well. Um, so I'm going to focus more on the beginning, actually, the first little bit. Um, and so the first thing I wanted to do, I actually have it in my notes here. I'm trying to pull it up. The first thing I wanted to point out with Bill, okay, before we get into anything else, um, and I'm going to use an example to do this, but have you ever been caught up in the nostalgia of an old movie or TV series that you used to watch as a kid or even a young teenager maybe, and you saw it, you loved it, it you watched it over and over and over again, and then you know, years pass and you just look back on it or think back on it. Man, I really need to own that movie. I should have that movie. That was that was such a good movie. Um, you know, and nothing's wrong with it. But then you hear people and they're like, oh, there's, that movie wasn't very good, you know, or that movie was kind of a dud. And you're thinking, no, that was like one of my favorite movies growing up. And then you go back and you finally watch it as an adult 15 years later and 20 years later, whatever, and you realize, wow, this actually was not very good. Like I am misremembering this movie or, or I just, you know, I kind of got caught up in, in what I thought it was more than what it was. And I use that example because that's what I think Bill does. I think he has a genuineness. Like he wants to see healing. He wants to see Christ glorified. Um, but what he does is he looks at his theology as endearing, um, as, as beautiful, as wonderful. And he looks at his theology in some type of a nostalgic type of way more than he looks at the Bible for what it is. Um, and he even openly admits like he likes listening to Calvinists because there's certain scriptures that they bring to light that just really don't stick out to him. And it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm not, you know, personally, I'm not a Calvinist because I was convinced um, by some theologian. I was convinced through scriptures. I was convinced by total depravity and that began the snowball effect where I could not really get out of any of them, any of the five points. And that came through scripture and study of the word. And so I just thought that that was kind of my thought process on his theology is he loves his theology because it's a good theology. It's an exciting theology. It's a healing signs, wonders, miracles, uh, revival, passion, love, uh, you know, just all of the wonderful things that, yeah, we all want to see, that's his theology rather than t taking the entirety of the, the word of God and allowing that to determine his theology. And so he looks at it in a nostalgic, excited, kind of like a childlike faith type of way, which is a great thing. But I mean, he's, he's been recorded saying in a sermon, like I refuse to create a theology where God doesn't heal you or where God doesn't want to heal you. Um, and it's like, well, when you refuse to create a theology, you're already losing that battle. And what I mean is I, I've met people that are like, well, I refuse to believe in the Calvinistic gospel, the Calvinistic, I don't want to call it a gospel. It's, a, it's the same gospel for most of us and whether Arminian or Calvinist, but the gospel, um, if God is the God of Calvinism, this is more of a quote. If the Calvinistic God is correct, I don't want to serve him. 
And it's like, when you, put, when you put your God in a box like that and say, if this is the way God is, the way thousands, if not more, incredible theologians and incredible pastors and incredible men of God have, have translated the word of God to understand God, if they're all right, <laughs> then I can't serve that God. And it's like, well, um, you see what I mean? You're already limiting your ability to understand the word of God by saying this cannot be the answer. And I think Bill Johnson does that with um, his theology as he looks at it as if this is the answer. And if the Bible doesn't really line up with what Christ shows me when he talks about Jesus Christ, this perfect theology, um, then things get a little, little dicey here and there. So anyway, uh, uh, hopefully I don't ramble too much on the Jesus perfect theology, but I'm going to point some things out as we get to it. Um, Anyway, he starts out that Bill Johnson was started with the daughter church of his father um, in Weaverville. And he actually has a recent clip. And I think Mike Winger is actually the one who showed it. Um, I think I've watched a lot of Bethel stuff over the years. And so I'm trying to make sure I credit the right person with my memory of this. It could be someone else, but I'm pretty sure it was Mike Winger. Um, But he actually was in a room. And this is straight from a sermon, actually. So, I mean, it's from the mouth of Bill Johnson. But he was in a room with a group of people who had not one iota of, of ability to prophesy, right? And so this is a story. And he says, hey, if, if Jesus Christ walked into this room right now, what do you think he'd say? And they all share what they think Jesus Christ would say if he was in the room. And he said, you guys just did it. And i like, did what? He's like, you guys just prophesied. Okay, <laughs> that's not prophecy. Um, even as someone who is a continuationist, I lean more towards like word of knowledge, word of wisdom, um, prophetically speaking into somebody's life in order to encourage them, comfort them, edify them, to encourage, um, to continue in the faith, right? And so like Spurgeon has examples, what I would argue are words of knowledge uh, in his autobiography, where he says, young man, the the gloves in your pocket are not paid for. Um, the, The young boy comes up and says, please don't tell my mom, like, and he repents, and Spurgeon has examples like that. And that is, to me, prophecy. And Spurgeon's like, I don't know what it is. I just know the spirit came upon me. I couldn't help it. I had to say what I said. And I read the contents of their heart. And so saying, what would Jesus say if he were here right now? That's not prophecy. That is, um, I don't know what that is. That's playing guess what Jesus would say? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's not prophecy. And uh, that's concerning. And so I just wanted to point that out. It's not in this video, but it's something that happened to Weaverville. Uh, And then they talk about a church split and they go into how they used to be a part of Assemblies of God Church, the denomination. Um, But something that they didn't really go into detail what they meant, but they said that the the breakoff from Assemblies of God was essentially due to... um, they were experimenting with some things that would make some people uncomfortable. But then they don't go into detail on what that was. And they said the Holy Spirit was moving in weird ways during that season at, you know, Bethel and at the vineyard. And and there's some things at vineyard, that's a whole nother can of worms that we could get into. Um, and so to break off from a Pentecostal denomination because they were experimenting with some things that would make people uncomfortable. You're, you're going to make Pentecostal people uncomfortable because you're experimenting. That seems like a recipe for hyper Pentecostalism, okay, which is already 
out there. Um, and then they make this weird comment how like they're still in good relationship and they still financially support Assemblies of God. I'm like, okay, like, why do I need to know that? I just thought it was weird and interesting um, that they would make that emphasis. And then at the five minute, about 30 mark, that's about where we're at right now. Um, Bill Johnson mentions his father allowed, um, he, he appreciated diversity so much that he allowed a Catholic priest to come and fill the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Um, and that actually disturbed me. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm the teaching elder at a church. Um, I would never invite a Catholic priest to come fill the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Um, I think we should be guarded on who we allow to speak into our congregation's lives. And to allow a Catholic priest is to allow what I would consider completely an apostate religion to come and fill your primary teaching slot on a Sunday morning. I mean, that is really bad discernment. That's really lacking biblically. And then Bill Johnson applauded it. He said, yeah, it was great. We learned something new. It's like you shouldn't be learning really. I mean, they have, they have good understanding in some areas. I'm not going to negate that. But what I want to point out is why would a Catholic priest be, I mean, if you attend a church and they're saying, yeah, we're going to have a Catholic priest preach this upcoming Sunday. I hope you're in a congregation that kind of revolts and says, Hey elders, no, we don't, we don't want a Catholic priest in here filling the pulpit. No, like let's choose a layman, which I don't like that language anyway, but let's choose someone from the congregation to speak who's gifted uh, in teaching and speaking. So anyway, and then he talks about his father, you know, how he invited someone else in. I think it might've been the Baptist guy, but I'm not sure. But he said, you know, hey, when you guys say you're full gospel, that offends me because I'm full gospel too. And so his father committed to stop saying full gospel Christians or full gospel church. And uh, that reminded me of uh, charismatics like to say we're spirit-filled. We're spirit-filled Christians. And if you've studied um, the Montanist movement uh, or the spirituals or the new prophecy uh, they also called themselves the spirituals, the pursuit of holiness and the Holy Spirit and tongues and prophecy and women in ministry. Uh, very similar. Uh, we're not going to, we went into that in similar podcasts or we went into the history of that a little bit. But uh, I, I remember a sermon by John MacArthur where he just said, essentially, like, I'm tired of people telling me, oh, imagine how incredible John MacArthur would be if he was filled with the Spirit. He's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I'm sealed to the Spirit, and I'm filled with the Spirit. And just because you speak in tongues, and I don't, doesn't change that. And I get, you know, the, the tiered Christianity is so, so detrimental. And I can't blame John MacArthur for being very frustrated. Because if somebody told me that, or if I heard that over and over and over again, can you imagine... You know, if Jesse was just this, can you imagine if he was just this and this and this, especially something that's so obviously wrong, spirit-filled. John MacArthur is spirit-filled, right? And so uh, I, I point that out because I'm sure Bethel still uses the terminology we're spirit-filled Christians. Um, and I think that's a it's an error and that's something that's wrong. I don't think we should be using language like that or even like the spirit-filled Bible. Uh, you know, I get the point, what the charismatics are trying to say, like, hey, this person has been quote-unquote, receive the second blessing of the Holy Spirit, which is part of their theology, um, which I do not endorse. 
but I have in my upbringing. I have endorsed the second blessing theology of, of speaking in tongues and the, the Holy Spirit baptism. I no longer endorse those things. And do I think it's heretical? No. Do I think it's wrong? Yes. Do I think it creates tiered Christianity? Absolutely. And so uh, we might have to do a whole podcast on that. And I know we've done charismatic terminology, but almost devoting an entire podcast to that. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the last one. Anyway, rambling. Let's continue here. Um, they spent a good portion in this this beginning talking about unity and how detrimental division is in the kingdom. And I thought that was interesting because we're trying to not perceive this as damage control. We're trying to take this for what it is. But then they make such an emphasis here very at the beginning how his father was so accepting and loved unity, invited in a Baptist preacher and a Catholic priest and, and loved being united and, and avoided detrimental terminology and avoided things that hurt people's feelings. And, and then yet, and they place this strong emphasis on unity, unity, unity. And it's kind of like setting this, this stage for like, hey, we want unity. We want peace. Um, we want to be good with, with all the people even if they disagree with us. And so that's not really damage control language. That's more, I'll get into my opinion on that later, but that's more preventative, kind of saying like, hey, we did our part. Like we said we wanted to be united with you. We said that we felt like division was detrimental for the kingdom of God, which they're right. I mean, most of the stuff they said, I, I don't disagree with. Like it's, it's perfectly fine. I just, the stressing of unity, the stressing of how divisive, um, people can be, uh, cause me to kind of turn my head and, and wonder, okay, it's hard not to think a little bit about what they're doing. Okay. Um, in fact, at one point, uh, Dan and, and Dan really carried a lot of this conversation. I felt like he kind of roped Bill in a couple times and kept Bill from saying some things that Bill <laughs> might've said if Dan wasn't there. So Dan definitely, he seems to be, a, I mean, Bill's smart. I, I agree with Nick on Crisis the Cure. Bill is, he's not dumb at all. He is, he's intelligent. He is incredibly intelligent. Um, but the problem is he, he cares so much about his theology that he is careless with his language and careless with his intelligence um, to some type of degree. And Dan's very good at roping him in when he's noticing something might go wrong. And so Dan even mentions at one point, though, he says, you know, if you want perfect unity in all things, that's a cult. Like, that's not Christianity. And then they laugh and they go, oh, well, that is some Christians. Kind of implying, like, not us. We don't expect perfect unity in all theological things, but a lot of Christians do. And it's just like, why is this kind of the... I'll just say it. It was just the tone of the entire interview was a little little too easy, a little too laugh at this, laugh at that. Um, I can't believe that. I, oh, I can't believe people think we think that. Anyway, um, there's a couple other points. I'll, I'll point that out. But he, the, he then goes into, we want to preserve unity. And Bill Johnson goes, even with a Calvinist, I love my Calvinist friends. I love people that believe in that theology. I would love to sit with them. And, and he makes that comment, like they point out, places in the scriptures that maybe don't stick out to me. I was like, shouldn't it all stick out to you? But that was just interesting as well saying, Hey, I'm united even with Calvinists. Like I even love my Calvinist brothers. 
kind of just grabbing the reform group and saying, hey, I love you. I'm willing to be united with you, but yet you're not united with me. You won't be united with me, right? Um, 13 minute mark, he does something similar to John MacArthur, kind of says, I admit I'm wrong somewhere. And once I'm in heaven, I'll understand it. But for now, I'm just doing my best. And they both admit that. And I think we all, every single person here on earth needs to admit that our carnal minds aren't going to wrap up every single truth that God has. And uh, no one will ever have perfect theology. We're just trying to get the best theology we can. And the theology that the spirit guides us into assuming you have the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so uh, he makes that comment. I would agree. You know, I there are places I disagree with John MacArthur. There are places I disagree with Bill Johnson. Um, and there's places that they both would disagree with me because of that. And so we all have to admit, once we get to heaven, we're, we're all going to have the same theology. And, you know, I don't think we'll be drawing sticks to see who is the best or most accurate. But, you know, here on earth, we got to do our best to... Um, remain orthodox and, and not devalue tradition. The one thing that I'll, I'll point out here is that Bill Johnson, he doesn't really have orthodox theology. His theology is mostly new and, and yeah, you can see it in some Pentecostal history, but Pentecostal history has only been around for a hundred years. Um, and so orthodox Christian history is not what Bill really endorses. And now I will say, you know, I believe in the, the idea of always reforming, uh, but within, you know, the guides of confessions, creeds, and, and church history and traditions. We don't look away from traditions and church history and orthodox teachings um, unless the Bible really starts to kind of fine-tune some things. But we're 2,000 years into this, okay? there's There should be no new teaching, no new understanding, no d new divine revelation about God. I mean, we want, we want to start getting into Gnosticism. No thanks. Like, we we shouldn't have anything. Um, we can reform, we can change, we can update a little bit, but nothing should be crazy new. And I do think in general, Bill Johnson's theology is pretty unique to him. Um, I don't know. I would love to hear if he says, hey, yeah, this is like a theological father to me that isn't Pentecostal. Like I can look at reformed greats and say, this is kind of like a theological father to me, like John Piper, um, Christian hedonism. You could look at Jonathan Edwards, C.H. Spurgeon. I really relate to those guys. Um, even though two of those three are cessationists, like I would really agree with C.H. Spurgeon on a lot of things. And so I think it's important to have kind of like a theological, uh, historical person that you just, you learn their lives, you study their lives, you know, their lives, um, you know their their theology, and you iron it out with the word, and you just, I don't want to say commit to their theology, but you go to them often, and you go to even counter opinions often. And I don't know who Bill would line up with theologically from 500 years ago, you know, or 1,000 years ago, or even 1,500 years ago. And now it's very easy for Pentecostals to say, well, the church hasn't really been orthodox in our opinion, and that's where we start to really mess up. So anyway, um, 22 minute mark, they start talking about Jesus is perfect theology. And this is not new. Okay. This has always been something he's taught, always been something he said. This is Bill Johnson through and through. Um, if Jesus is perfect theology, we should be very careful, very, very careful on how we talk about Jesus. And yet, when we talk about kenosis and when we talk about some things Bill Johnson said and that he's written, 
he has said Christ put aside his divinity. And he has said things that will get a charismatic a little stirred up, like, you know, Jesus performed all of his miracles as a man with the spirit, which that isn't heresy. But the reason he does that is because it lines up with his theology, charismatic theology, and saying that, hey, if you have the Holy Spirit and you are submitted and yielded to the Spirit, you will walk in signs, wonders, healings, and revival, right? Rather than, you know, the Spirit always pointing back to Christ, saying, be like him. Um, I don't look at Christ and just see signs, wonders, and healings. I see those things, but I see a man who was uh, displayed the fruit of the Spirit, and I believe in total depravity. So I believe the fruit of the Spirit are far superior in every single regard than the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, the Word of God warns us, how will you know that they're false teachers? By their fruit. And so fruit um, is truly a test to see if someone has the Spirit sealed to them, not signs and wonders, not miracles. Those things are cool if they come, but they're, in my opinion, by the will of the Father. And so, yeah, you're not going to walk around and just say, hey, I have a good relationship with the spirit, I don't sin, and so now I heal people. Like some kind of superpower that you can achieve, okay? Um, I know that's probably taking it too far, but that is where charismatic, I'm speaking as a charismatic, so I feel like a little more able to speak freely on this than maybe even Nick is from Christ as a Cure because he's coming kind of from more of a cessationist, at least in his background um, view, and so I don't think he's ever been a charismatic unless I'm dead wrong, he can let me know. But I'm coming from a charismatic background who's more balanced now, but still continuationist leaning. And I will tell you, Bill Johnson's theology excites immature charismatics to no end. It, it gets you going, it gets you excited, it gets you pumped up for signs, wonders, healings, miracles, power, 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 Benny Hinn blowing people over, um, knocking on doors, trying to twist up foots and make them look like they're healed. Okay, a lot of the charismatic stuff is unfortunately, um, just heaped on to immature anti-intellectual minds. And so when Bill Johnson uses these fancy words, um, not that perfect theology is fancy, but when he uses a word like Jesus is perfect theology, the charismatic's like, okay, yeah, what do you mean by that? Well, in Mark, the Great Commission, most of you guys know where I'm going with that. <laughs> um, you know, we will quote that and say, you have to cast out demons. You have to speak in a new tongue, but yet, we don't drink deadly poisons anymore. Uh, we don't pick up stinks anymore, right? And so Mark, that's a whole nother debate that might be an interesting one to get into. Um, but you can see where charismatics will take that. And uh, and charismatics use words that I don't know how many people, that's why we, we have the charismatic terminology podcast series going too. They use words like power. Uh, the Holy Spirit is power rather than strength, rather than fortitude, rather than fortress. Um power, right? Um, binding, loosing, rather than binding and loosing being about uh, church discipline and laws and, and that type of idea. Binding and loosing in charismatic theology is binding demons and, and loosing things. And by the power of your tongue, by your power, as someone who's sealed to the spirit, who has a spirit, who has been blessed with a second blessing, baptized in the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues, you can now bind demons and loose demons, right? Not saying that's always the theology, but that's generally the idea. Um, or you lack the power. Or something that's interesting too that I've 
I, I don't use this a lot, but it's something I've talked to a friend about. And, you know, it's just like, you know, charismatics, they, they love their tongues through and through. And, um, you know, tongues is a whole can of worms that I'm not trying to get into right now. But uh, I like to quote Paul Washer usually just because I feel like he's very balanced on the perspective. He just says, you know, essentially, I can't in good conscience say that these things have ceased. I understand the argument. I know smarter men than me say they've ceased, but I'm looking at the text of scripture and I don't see it. But I will say this, what we see in church today does not look like what I see in scripture. And that is where I'll leave that for now. But essentially, one funny thing I was talking to my friend about is it never talks about Jesus Christ ever speaking in tongues. And yet Bill Johnson's theology, where Jesus is perfect theology, in which Christ laid aside divinity, but he once again, listen to Crisis of Cures podcast for this, but the kenosis, we're not going to get too into it. But essentially, he was a man yielded to the spirit, operating in the spirit to show us, hey, that you can accomplish these things by being a person. And uh, this is not as God, which that isn't terribly unorthodox. Uh, but essentially, like Christ didn't speak in tongues. There's no examples or proof he did. And so for Pentecostals to take tongues where they take tongues is definitely a disservice to um, orthodox teaching and, in my opinion, on the scriptures too. And so, anyway, um, and, and the last point with Jesus is perfect theology. Something that charismatics love to look at and refer to is when Christ says, I'm sending the helper, right? I'm, because you'll be able to do, with the help of the helper, the comforter, the whatever you want to call the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to do all these things and more. And I, that was a creed, a creed in charismatic churches, right? I, I quoted that scripture. I was able to say, you know, we're going to do all these things and more. Can you believe that? The Holy Spirit comes sealed to our beings and we're going to do everything Jesus did and more. Yet the experience never matched up with that. Now, I don't want to create my theology around my experiences at all. Um, so I negated that, but I was like, we're, we're called to do all Christ did and more now that we have the Holy Spirit. Um, but who is he talking to? Um, you know, that's a very important question when you actually get into the theology behind that. We are to do all these things and more. Who has done more in ministry than Jesus Christ? Not Peter, not Paul, not a single Christian on earth right now. Uh, Christ did more ministry, more signs, more wonders, more teaching, more of all of that than... Um, at least the the power, miracles, signs, wonders, teaching. He wasn't around too long, I guess, but the idea is the same. Who is he speaking to? To the church. Through, by the Holy Spirit. Right? And so the Holy Spirit through the church is going to do more than Christ did. That's the way I would interpret that. I think that's the healthier way to look at that. It's not to look at it and say, now that I have the Holy Spirit, I can do everything Jesus did. No. Um, some people are gifted in certain ways and some people are gifted in other ways by the unction of the spirit, by the will of the spirit, uh, however he sees fit. And we can't assume that I'm just going to do everything Jesus did personally. I would rather look to the body of Christ in which Jesus is the head and say, will the body, the church do all that Christ did and more? Yes. I think that is a better question and answer to that. Um, there was a weird comment at the 30 minute mark. Right, that Bill Johnson said, um, when someone is healed, that shows me what God can do. But when somebody is not healed, that shows what I can do. And he has to have this language because he does not believe God is unwilling to heal. 
right? Uh, God always wants to heal us. It's, you know, it does flirt with health and wealth, the gospel, health and wealth gospel a little bit. Um, but he says, when they're not healed, that shows what I can do. And yet then he talks about, hey, faith, I can't look at myself, which is great. I agree with that. You can't look at yourself when it comes to faith. That defeats the whole purpose. If that's your faith, then that's not faith. And I think I do think that's something that happens in charismatic churches is, well, where's your faith? And you start to look inter- internally, saying, well, where is my faith? Why don't I have enough faith? Why don't I trust more? I gotta, uh, How much faith do I have? You got it all backwards, right? And so I agree that if we look to ourselves for our faith and we got it all wrong, we look to Christ, look to the Father and say, can he do this? Um, am I able or is God able? Right? But he says when someone's not healed, it's it's a testament of what I can do. So any anytime someone's not healed, it's because of us. Yet then they say, well, that's not, that's not it at all. We don't understand God. It's just interesting that they kind of, to me, it sounded like they're contradicting themselves a little bit by saying when someone's not healed, it's what I can do. And he has to say that, like I said, because God always heals or God wants to always heal. So when someone's not healed, it's not because God didn't heal them. It's because I wasn't allowing God to heal me or something along those lines. Um, 37 minute mark. Uh, I, I kind of liked some points Dan made here. Um, but essentially when he was 20 and young, he's like, that person's right. That person's wrong. That person's right. That person's wrong. Um, and there's a lot, a real sense of immaturity. And I agree with that. I, I, I do. I think we have to be far more charitable and, uh, far more patient and far more understanding than generally what we see from young little theologians nowadays. And, uh, that happens, right? You say that person's right. That person's wrong. That person's right. That person's wrong. Rather than saying, you know, I don't, I don't agree with them. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to support or endorse them because of that, but I'm not going to label them heretics and, and cast stones at them and mock them and ridicule them and create unfair caricatures of them, right? That's a very common um, immature theological answer to is someone who you disagree with. And so he kind of points it out and he says, you know, as I've come into the faith realm, which is charismatic, really, um, he said, the first thing I want to do is reach for doubt. Like, that doesn't seem real. That How is that real? I mean, he's like, I've really had to teach myself to reach for faith, um, which I liked. I, I, I'm not going to go too into that. I liked it. I just, and I think it's very true that we oftentimes reach for doubt. So say you hear a story that this person um, had a tumor and then the tumor's gone. Like most of us hearing that story, we're going to reach into our, our back pockets and look for doubt and say, eh, were they really, or is that, how legitimate is that story? Um, where's the proof? Can I see the medical records rather than reaching for faith and saying, Hey, we serve a God who can do that and who will do that. Um, that's awesome. What a testimony. Um, you know, and I, I would love to have more physical pres- proof, but that's not really the, the reality we live in. Like we don't need proof for everything. Um, sometimes we just rejoice. And I, I kind of liked that point as someone who is still continuationist. Like I like the point of, I don't want to reach for doubt. I want to reach for faith. And saying, you know, hey, I'm not trying to throw my mind at the door. I'm not trying to leave my brain behind, but I want to reach for faith. I want to, I want to reach for that part of me um, that really isn't me at all. It reaches to Christ and says, can Christ do this? Absolutely. Then why am I doubting? So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, 40 minute mark to talk about assuming healings. (sighs) You know, um, (laughs) it just... It gets really tricky. He, you know, Bill's like, I don't want to pray if it's your will, Father, heal this person. 
because that already shows my doubt. I disagree with that um, entirely, right? I think it's about knowing who Christ is, knowing what he is capable of, knowing that he is able. Um, and that's it. I don't think it's about knowing his perfect will um, and essentially laying claim to it because Bill's like, his perfect will is already revealed. He always wants me to be healed. And so he says, if it's your will to heal me, but yet then he gives an example in which he talks about a woman who he was like, I can't pray for healing, give her peace. And she died two hours later. Um, yet it's always God's will to heal. And he's like, well, healing in this situation meant going home and just start really making weird justifications. Um, we want God's will. Um, and, and what's interesting is he even says like, hey, we're going to condemn any leader in our church and, and there's going to be discipline. There's going to be a talk, a conversation uh, who says, hey, you're not healed because of your lack of faith, which is incredible because that in charismatic circles is detrimental. It is anti-biblical and it's wrong. Um, rather than looking at, hey, lack of faith isn't a reality. Um, I mean, it is, but we... To condemn somebody because of that is wrong, right? And so, but they're, they've been on record from members and congregants and, and sermons. They encourage false healings. Like, oh, well, if you're not holding up your hand, of course you didn't get a healing because you don't think you're healed. And so you actually have a lot of younger, younger Christians in the Bethel church that they'll pretend they're healed for weeks and weeks and weeks and stop taking their medicines, stop taking their whatever, whatever, um, because they're like, well, if I take my medicines or if I go to the doctor or if I think I'm healed or if I, if I tell people I'm not actually healed, then my healing will go away. Um, and so they actually encourage that to some extent, false healings, fake healings. Um, and yet they say, well, condemn people who say it's because of a lack of faith. And yet openly there's been people who came out and said, yeah, if you, if you don't believe you're healed and don't live like you're healed, then your faith healing goes away and it never actually was yours. But the thing is, you know, saying, Hey, we're going to condemn anyone who says it's because of a lack of faith that you don't, or you're not healed. I promise that Bill's theology, I, I promise, I promise, I promise his theology is detrimental to immature young Christians. It's very detrimental. Immature young Christians need to hear the gospel message. They need to dwell on the glory of Christ. And then they need to, to realize the importance of the doctrine of scripture. Um, so, I mean, obviously we're talking about, even if you listen to the Alistair Bay clip, clip, which I'm sure most of you have, it's like, we got to know the doctrine of justification. We got to know the doctrine of Christ. We got to the dwell in the glory of the gospel of Christ. And then the doctrine of scripture. Why are those things important? Because that's everything we need to reach maturity. Um, all these other things um, that, that Bill teaches, immature Christians latch onto, and it, it shipwrecks a lot a lot of their faith. I, I promise you it does. Because when you're told your whole life, um, or your whole Christian life, I should say that, hey, God always wants to heal you. And then you spend five years praying for your son, five years day in and day out, trusting in God, having no doubt in your mind, God will heal him. And then all of a sudden your, your son passes away. What do you do? You know, you know, and I, I, I hope that that person doesn't walk away from the faith. But the reality is it creates uh, immature Christians who can't go through trials, can't go through hardships, because anytime they're not healthy, they're not wealthy, um, 
health and wealth gospel, right? That's kind of what this bleeds into. Anytime those things don't come their way, they either have to essentially condemn themselves or think maybe God isn't real, right? And so we have to be very, very careful with this type of theology. Okay, we really have to start double timing here because we still have a lot to cover and um, I ramble a lot. So we're going to try to hit this in the next 15 minutes, be done in an hour. Um, at 45 minute mark, Bill Johnson makes a weird claim that there's been a few times in his life where he's felt just the power of the spirit and he's told people who said, hey, I don't trust God for healing. He said, don't worry, I have enough faith for both of us. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. That's all I'm going to say about that. Interesting. Um, his opinion on the sovereignty of God is that God is in charge, like a man in the household, but not in control. So just because the father of the house is in charge, he is not solely in control of everything. Um, I think that's an interesting perspective on the sovereignty of God that I'd love to hear his biblical defense for. That is about where I'd leave that. Um, and then, interestingly enough, I have listened to the clip, and granted, I didn't listen to the entire sermon. If it was one, I'm not even sure. But I've listened to the clip where Bill Johnson said, the Passion Translation is the best thing to happen to the Bible in our lifetime. I listened to that, and yet, in this video, they changed their opinion, and they said the passion is best viewed as a commentary. And then they go on to say, you know, the people who are critical of the passion, they're smart. They're theologians. They don't really need the passion translation because they understand the these and the thous and the thuses. Okay, first and foremost, I struggle with the King James Version sometimes because you come across, across words. I think about my uncle when he was a pastor. Uh, in one of his sermons, he said, you know, he came across the word both. And he was just like, what is this word? This old English is kicking my butt. And turns out it was the word both. And he just thought it was both. And he got so hung up on it. And I just think it's funny because that's what King James does to you. It's it's not, it's old English. None of us speak it anymore. Um, do I like to read it? Sure. Do I like the NKGV? Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, and I, I get that. It, it, it The Bible is not easy to understand. Now, the two things I recommend to people are one, um, get into theology because theology helps you understand the Bible in ways that you wouldn't without it. And two, which is actually, two is number one. I, I'm mixing them up. But the second thing is more important is if you're sealed to the spirit, now your carnal mind can be enlightened and illuminated because of the spirit to understand scripture more fully. And so don't just jump into your Bible and just start reading um, you need to, one, understand the context, the history, understand who's writing it, who they're writing to, the basic hermeneutics, right? But people don't teach hermeneutics anymore. He's saying, oh, people don't understand the these and the thous, let's hand them a passion translation. No, you teach them hermeneutics. You teach them how to understand it, how to interpret it. And then you say, hey, you've been sealed to the spirit. Your carnal mind doesn't understand this Bible that easily. So don't read this in your carnality, in your flesh, Pray to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you're sealed to me. I'm hoping you'll help me understand your word that was breathed out by you. Right? 
I mean, we have to understand the Holy Spirit wrote the word of God pointing to Christ. And, and so we have to look at this and say, Holy Spirit, you're part of me. You wrote this. Can you help my mind get it? Instead of saying, here's a passion translation. Okay. Um, they were far less um, hard on the passion than I would have liked. But that's because I, I really struggle with the passion translation. I really struggle with how it's being put together. The language that it's using. If you've listened to Mike Winger's video on it, uh, he 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 found Christ in Vineyard, which, like I said, is similar to Bethel. Um, so I would once again, Mike Winger and I. If you haven't heard me say it before, other than the Calvinism point, I do think we have very similar opinions on things. Um, and he's a continuationist or charismatic, if you have to. And we both see the Passion Translation as essentially just superfood for charismatics. That's what it is. It's superfood. It's it's replacing language in the, the original uh, languages and, and putting in things that are super supercharged for charismatic terminology, um, like anointing, uh, like power. Um, it's putting things in places they don't belong at all. And, and to me, it's, it's breaking the command of revelation. Do not add or take away from this. Um, I think it's adding. I do. I think it's adding things that are not there to the word of God. And, and I don't care if he had a dream and, and God told him this and that. And even if you study the, the dream, it's like, that doesn't make sense either. I think the passion translation is at best a terrible commentary that we should avoid at all costs. That's at best. At worst, complete and utter heresy birthed from demonic Gnosticism. Okay. Those are your, that's your best and worst case scenarios. Okay. So for me to say best case scenario, it should be avoided at all costs. They openly endorse it. I don't know too many biblically sound theologian people that endorse this. Um, they even say as a commentary, it's not super safe. Okay. So the passion translation is bad. And Bill Johnson lacks an extreme amount of biblical discernment not to just say this is not the best translation. I, I, I will admit that they didn't call it a translation. They called it a commentary. Okay, that's a step in the right direction for them to not even call it a, a translation now. They, they actually referred to it more as a commentary, which I can appreciate that they're they're taking a step back from this is the best thing to happen to the Bible in our lifetime. But this might just be to save face. <laughs> this might be. And they talk about how people get so critical. And there's been other translations translated by one person. And we have, if you value the Bible, like the Reformed community does, the Reformed community loves the Bible, like no charismatic does. I, I promise you. I mean, some charismatics, they love the Bible. But I promise you, the Reformed community loves their Bible. Some of them, unfortunately, they love theology and they neglect their Bibles. But in general, uh, the, the mature theologians in the Reformed community, they love their Bibles. And so if you do anything to it that is wrong, they are going to call you on it super quick. So I don't like that they tried to kind of laugh it off and say, ah, you know, they're so critical. And that's why I don't think this is damage control on the outside. I think this is this is for the inside. Okay. Um, I recommend the NLT. If, you, if you're struggling understanding the Bible, read 
the NLT. Um, if that is is if you're still struggling with that, then find somebody. Find someone who's willing to read the Bible with you and help you understand it. I understand, especially teenagers at our church, they struggle with it. Um, I encourage the NLT. We have one kid who reads the message. Do I love it? No. Do I recommend the NLT every time I see him? Pretty much. Um, but he, he actually does have some hunger for the word because of the message. That's what they're trying to justify with the passion. And the message is one thing. Okay, I do not like the message. Um, I like the message as a commentary. <laughs> uh, the passion as avoidable completely. So, um, and the last two points, obviously we're covering more Christology, uh, and the gospel of Christ and the kenosis. And we're not going to get into that. Uh, trust that you'll listen to uh, Nick's podcast with Christ is a cure. And, uh, here's some opinions. Okay. I'm, I'm going to end with opinions. I do think Nick did a really good job and, and I really, I prayed through this. Okay. I prayed through this idea cause I'm like, should I make assumptions or not? Because, I really don't want to. I really want to take what it is and just share what it is. But the reason I feel like I have to, I feel a burden, okay? I feel a burden to, and I know we run from that word feel, but I I just, when I was praying about it, I just was burdened that I have to, from a charismatic perspective, look at this and kind of give, you know, when, when you're dealing with people across the aisle from you, with different theological perspectives, I actually think you need to be more gracious, more understanding, more patient, more charitable than people who are a little closer to home, right? I'm going to be a little harder on my brother than I am on a stranger. And Bethel, though not my brothers, and I don't know them personally, I get that. I was raised charismatic. This is a lot closer to home for me. And so a lot of the language that Bill Johnson uses, a lot of the things I see in this are things that I've seen for a long time. And so I feel like I can be a little more dogmatic about reading between the lines than maybe the reform community can or cessationists or even people trying to be balanced that didn't raise up charismatic. Like I rose up, I, I grew up charismatic. And so I just, I'm trying to look at this as charitably and, and kindly as I can um, while also just being, here's my opinions. And the, the biggest opinion I have on this is this is absolutely not damage control. Um, I do not think they give any cares to what outside people think of them. If they did, rather than laughing off kenosis, laughing off all the different things that people think about them, they would say, we are sorry that we've been perceived in this way. Here is our true opinion on this matter. Here is what we actually think. We're sorry we worded things poorly. We're sorry we were careless in the way we wrote this in our book. We were sorry that, no, I didn't really hear we're sorry anywhere. I heard, oh, that's ridiculous. That's so silly. I, I can't believe people think we believe that. Let, that's ridiculous. And they'd laugh it off. That doesn't seem like damage control. Okay. I don't think they care what the outside thinks of them because here's two things to know. One, Bethel church members or Bethel followers are loyal. They are loyal through and through. I know people that go to Bethel events. They are loyal. You cannot say one bad word about Bethel around them. They are loyal. And the people that hate Bethel, they are also loyal. I talk to them about this podcast and they're like, honestly, no interest. Bethel is terrible. They're the worst. I'm not listening to it. 
And I think Bethel knows that. I think they know their followers are loyal, and I think they know that their adversaries are loyal. So I don't think this is about retaining their followers, their loyal followers, or damage control from the outside. I don't think that's what it is. What I think this is, in their mind, is a preventative measure for the fringe Bethel church members, the people that maybe have been began to flirt with uh, Reformed theology or flirt with John MacArthur or flirt with Strange Fire or flirt with Vody or, or R.C. Sproul or Steve Lawson or all these other wonderful teachers um, and reel them back in. Because what I see is if you're taking this at face value, the entire video is pretty long, it's an hour and a half. It's not bad. In general, most of the things they say are not heretical. They're not bad. It's really not overall. If you took all the language and brought it together and had to give it a percentage, I would say 80 to 85% of it I could understand and agree with. Um, And is that enough for me to align with most people generally? Probably, yeah. And so if you're a fringe Bethel person and you've been thinking about all these you know, naysayers and people that that shout at Bethel and and struggle with Bethel. I think this would keep you in. Be like, oh, see, they're they're defending themselves. They want to be in unity. Like this is okay. I think this is preventative for losing those types of members. That's just my opinion. Like I said, this is these are just my opinions. Um, I think there's they're staying a step ahead of the game in trying to keep members that might. Um, defect i guess be defectors in the futures i think i think that's what they're trying to do um because bill johnson though not really discussed in this video he's trying to export his revival healing signs wonders jesus theology he's trying to rebuild it in the school of supernatural ministry and export it to churches in america outside of america he is trying to export his theology to other churches everywhere why Um, to me, it's obvious because his theology is very unique and it's not very orthodox or common. And so if he can export his theology in a hundred years, his theology is going to be reigning supreme and he's going to be aired as a great mind. I mean, think about like John Calvin, obviously he's aired, people still esteem him to this day. Um, there's a lot of people who wear the badge. I'm a Calvinist, right? Um, I think that's honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's overly prideful. I do think it's in the name of his theology, Jesus theology, desiring Jesus signs, wonders, healings, revival. I, I, I don't want to assume his heart is bad in that. I'm just saying when you want to export your theology that is very specific and very unique to you, to the world, I don't know. You have to be really sure that your theology is the real deal. And rather than taking immature Christians and, and raising them up in your theology, I mean, Calvin just, his theology stood the test of time. And there's people today that are brilliant biblical minds that say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to rock Calvin. I'm going to, you know, or maybe they rock different creeds or confessions. I don't know. But the point being is if your theology is that legit, it will stand the test of time. But there's people right now, Bill, that call you an apostate. People that right now that label you a heretic. Um, And I'm not that, I'm not that person. But I'm just saying like, I think... It's concerning. I think it's concerning. Okay. Um, and, and I think I really struggled with the the heart they had behind their errors, just kind of laughing them off. Um, 
Of course we don't believe that. That's just, that's foolish. That's silly. Oh my gosh. Of course Jesus was still fully God. And maybe that's true. Maybe you've always believed that. But rather than laughing it off, I would encourage Bill just to say, you know, I've worded some things poorly. I've come to a better understanding of why that's detrimental. I, I can see why people drew that conclusion about my theology. And I'm sorry. Like, I was wrong. This is what I mean. Um, I think that would have been far more beneficial and maybe a more mature way to handle that. Um, just in my opinion. Once again, these are my opinions. And I'm trying not to be too harsh. Um, but I, I, I just really, the more I heard them just laughing off outside opinions of them rather than just taking them as serious things and, and saying, Hey, but maybe that, but like I said, that that's why I really didn't think it was damage control. Cause they really just seemed to not care about outside perspectives. They just laughed them off and said, of course, that's, that's ridiculous. Can't believe people think we believe that. Um, but they literally, you know, Bill literally writes it in his book. Okay. Um, anyway. And then my third opinion here is characters are not helpful. Uh, I think we're all guilty to some extent, even myself sometimes of, of trying to build characters and putting people into these boxes that we really don't know. We don't know them perfectly. We don't know them entirely. And so it's really easy to put people into these caricatures and create things that they're not, um, and emphasize their shortcomings. I mean, I'll be honest. I like to look at Arminian sites every once in a while. Um, and it's, it's hard. Arminian memes. I should, I should have said that. Um, because the caricatures in their memes that they create of, of Calvinists, I'm just like, they don't even know what I believe. They don't even understand Calvinism to a place where it's even fair. Like, it's it's not fair. there, and, and it frustrates me, right? It frustrates me to read those things and see those things. And so I think reform community, charismatic community, every community, we need to do a much better job of taking people um, for what they say, who they are, what they believe. And not overemphasize things and essentially build up caricatures that are just detrimental to the body. So I agree with the unity aspects. Um, once again, I, I do not endorse Bill Johnson. I do not endorse Bethel. But I'm not going to try to caricaturize them and um, turn them into something they're not. Okay. Uh, and I think heretic or labeling Bill Johnson a heretic or anything like that, I think that's a caricature. I think it's taking things too far. Um do I think we need to be leery and careful? Absolutely. Um, but I, I, it's just really hard. Um, it's really hard. Uh, and then the fourth point I have here is something I said on my Instagram stories. And we're, we're wrapping up here in a minute, I promise. Uh, is theology apart from maturity uh, leads to a severe lack in charity. And charity is so important in these things. And, and, and yeah, love rejoices in truth. It does. Charity rejoices in truth. And, and that's the reality here is I, I have no ill will for Bill Johnson or Bethel. I have no desire for them to fail um, because I don't believe that they're a false gospel that's uh, deserving of anathema or, or to be damned. I don't believe that personally. I believe they're misled. I believe they're misunderstanding some important aspects. But the fact that they cleared up kenosis and kind of their opinions on Christ really helped. Um and I wasn't even willing to call them heretics before. I think they were just a little careless. And there's been people that have come out of Bethel who have openly admitted, like, there's wrong and there's error, but the leaders don't correct it because they don't want to dishearten the genuineness of other things going on. And so 
it's like they just really don't want to correct or fix things. They'd rather just let things kind of smooth out on their own. Um, and I, I do think back to Nabil Qureshi before he passed away. He visited Bethel, and people told him, don't visit Bethel, don't visit Bethel. Um, he said the sermon was great. It was gospel-focused. He said the, the service really just nothing bugged him. The only thing that he was like, this is something to be careful of, is that everyone thought they were a, they were a prophet. And that's a whole, that's a whole other uh, podcast episode we could devote to that probably. But essentially, he's like, the, the main concern I had is, I had a lot of people coming up to me and prophesying like, hey, you'll be healed. You'll be healed. Don't worry. You'll be healed. God has got you. God has got you. And as we all know, Nabil wasn't healed. Unfortunately, Nabil is one of my favorite people to go back and watch to this day. And um, he visited Bethel and he genuinely thought there were some really great people there. And that's where my heart is. I think there's some really genuine, true brothers and sisters of Christ in Bethel who are just under some slightly erroneous teaching. Um, and... I just, my heart breaks a little bit that they could get suckered into um, worse and worse things, you know, and, and just being very careful um, with that. And so I, I have a heart of, of love and compassion and, and yeah, I want truth, um, but I'm not even claiming that I have all truth. I'm just saying these are things that concern me. Do they concern you? And uh, and we look at other people that obviously all, that are very biblically sound who also have concerns with Bethel. So we have to be careful. And something I say all the time, careful, careful, careful. Um, here's some things that they did not cover that I really, really want them to cover in future uh, talks. And I'm sure they'll just reject everything because they don't really endorse everything students do, even though they don't shut it down either. Um, but Destiny cards and Destiny leggings, um, New Age practices in general, grave soaking glory clouds, those all, they're New Age mysticism the kundalini spirit, they do have a video on kundalini. I actually haven't watched that portion yet, but they need to address all the new age that's infiltrated their church because it's, it's, it is scary. The amount of new age that has infiltrated Bethel. Um, and yet they won't shut it down. I think they'll mostly just say, Hey, we don't have anything to do with that. Yeah, it's happened, but it's not because of us. Even though one of their pastors actually is the one who invented or came up with the destiny leggings, um, a woman. So, and then, okay, this is one of my chief concerns. And I think polite leader actually made the same comment. He essentially said like Todd Bentley is a flaming heretic, which I would agree. I would label Todd Bentley a flaming heretic. And if you don't know who that is, just Google Todd Bentley. Um, definitely a heretic. Okay. He was re reinstated to his position in ministry um, and Bill Johnson was one of the bigger advocates for him when that happened. And so it was just kind of a David and Bathsheba moment. He found his new wife. He committed adultery, blah, 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 the whole thing. Um, and only months later, after everything happened, they reinstated him. And I just, I look at that entire situation and I just, I struggle with it. That is actually one of the bigger reasons I will not endorse Bill Johnson at all is because he openly endorsed Todd Bentley. And I do believe Todd Bentley's completely heretical um, in every way. Uh, he controls angels. He kicks people. He, um, yeah, I just think he's demon possessed. I think he's 100% a false prophet. Um, and he was endorsed by Bill Johnson, right? And so I don't know, like polite leader essentially said, like if your judgment is that bad that you can openly endorse and advocate Todd Bentley, 
then I don't trust your judgment anywhere. And I think that in general is kind of fair. Like I'm, I don't know, like I'm trying to be fair, but Todd Bentley to me is just, it's, it's a really scary um, situation to be endorsing him. So uh, I really want to hear that. I doubt they cover that. I really do. I doubt they cover that. I hope they do. Uh, but I, I doubt they do. Um, and so a couple things here, just kind of, I put in my notes to, to end with, uh, we're going to keep this conversation rolling. I think that's obvious that we're going to do as many parts as they do. We're going to do at the end of the day, we're evaluating because we love truth. Um, and we're trying to be charitable and there are people who claim Christ as their savior. And so my heart in this, like, like I said at the beginning, my heart in this is that I do care. Um, and I do care about truth, but I do care about them. And I really, I, I want to see them come to a, a healthier biblical place where I can maybe support them again. Uh, though, like I said right now, just do not see it happening. Um, so if you, if you dislike their theology or maybe even hate it, um, I want you to, I want to remind you, they did clean up some gospel related issues. Um, they honestly seem more orthodox now where it counts the gospel, sola fide, Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man. Um, and I'm going to pray for them. I am. I'm going to pray for Bill. I'm going to pray for this series. I'm going to pray for Bethel. Um, I don't want any of them to be in a false gospel. I don't. I want them to all endorse sola fide. Um, I want them to all endorse sola scriptura. I want them to all have a healthy understanding of truth. I don't need them to have my theology. I need them to have truth, um, perfect theology. And I don't know who has it. You know, we're all in pursuit of it. So I'm not going to pray that they come to my understanding. I'm going to pray that they come to God's understanding and, and a closer understanding than, than even I have. And I pray for myself and I pray for them. And, and at the end of the day, like, that's what we want. So anyway, in closing, uh, a little over an hour, I was hoping to keep it to an hour, but forgive me, this is just a dense topic and there's just so much to talk about. And they really, um, I didn't even hit that much. Like I didn't pull out too many exact quotes or anything like that. I didn't play any clips for you because I have this habit of, I listen to things on 1.75 or two times if I have to. And so when I go in and I listen to clips from other people and they play things on 1.5, I have to slow it down because I'm on two and they're on 1.5 and it just becomes a mess. And so I didn't want to do it too much because I know you guys do that too. Um, anyway, uh, at the end of the day, let's pray for him. Let's have more charity. We'll talk about this some more, but until then, I appreciate y'all. God bless you guys and, uh, think on it.